We'll just start from verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And I, I put in your notes, this is such a good passage, and, and Sean did a great job last week. Um, teaching it and, and letting us feel that because I always, I always am encouraged, especially when I come to like six and talking about that right relationship. Um, that 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 is just a real blessing to me. And 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 Paul's sa- you know saying this is this is where you were when I was there. This is where you were. This is what was going on. This is what God had done. And uh, then we come to um, the passage we're dealing with today, and he starts on a different tone. Um, let me read all the passage together. Um, starting in, in verse 8, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you, you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a, in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in, in, for whom I labor in birth again... Until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Um, so, Paul kind of sets us up and he's like, you know, this is where you were. This was, this was a great moment. And, and you can sense that. You, if you got the tone of what Sean was teaching last week, you can sense, oh, we're, we're right there. We're right where we need to be. And, uh, and then he cups, comes in and he says, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which were by nature, which by nature are not gods. He says, Now here's where you were before we got to that point. Um, without Christ, without his work, without grace, um, that only God can provide without the full knowledge of him, we're all idolaters. And that's where we were. Before Christ, and that's what he says. I, I looked up a few things, a um, couple things that I wanted to get straight in my own mind. Webster says an idolater is a person that admires intensely and often blindly a person or thing that is not usually a subject of worship. Um, 
That's an idolater. Um, Sean shared something in the email uh, from Martin Luther. And he said, anyone who falls from grace to the law is in just as much danger as someone who falls from grace to idolatry. For without Christ, there is nothing but idolatry, an idle and false imagination of God. So as I was thinking this through, I thought, well, I'm just, I'm still not happy with with that picture. I, I need to get it in my mind. So I looked up idolatry. An immoderate attachment or devotion to something or someone. I thought we don't use the word immoderate much. Let's make sure we got that down. So I looked that up, and it said excessive, inordinate, devilish. A devilish attachment, an excessive attachment to something or someone. That's idolatry. Now, as Christians, you know, we've gotten past that, right? We don't have this problem with idolatry anymore. Is that not true? I mean, they were worshiping, you know, Aphrodite. We don't worship Aphrodite, right? The goddess of love, sex. We don't have a false view of that, do we? Um, how about um, Demeter? They worship Demeter. Anybody worship Demeter? The god of work. We have a problem with that. Maybe you have a problem... Um, they would worship Apollo, god of music, Poseidon, the god of the seas and the rivers. Um, I mean, we don't have any problem with our recreation issue, right? We don't, we don't uh, have an issue where we don't mind pushing that aside just so we can be with God. Um, now, we have it all together because we're Christians. We have what's important down, like family. That would be the goddess Hera. Like home, the goddess Testa. See, we've gained all this wisdom in our years, which would be the goddess Athena. Um, idolatry. An excessive attachment or devotion to something or someone. So Paul says... Back to Paul's writings, he says, um, there's where you were. When I was here, this is what happened. This is where you, then this is where you came from. And then verse 9 comes, and he says, but now. <laughs> Yet, you weren't where you were before you got saved. When I was there sharing the gospel, that was a great time. But now. Why is there a but now? They were resting in the grace of God, trusting in what Christ had done, and something has changed. But now, after you have known God, so you, you did what was right, you got in a right relationship with God, he says, but now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, get a grasp real quick. That word known, it's the same word used in the Old Testament when it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived and had a child. 
Abraham knew Sarah, and she conceived and had a child. There is a relationship there, an intimacy that is going on. And that's the same word that is used here when it says that we knew God and God knew us. There's a special relationship going on. And he says, after you'd known God, or rather are known by God, which clearly is a much better emphasis because uh, as Sean shared last week in the previous passages, it, it was all God. God. God did all the work. And um, um, so it's, that, that emphasis is a little bit different. It's also very important because if you look in um, uh, Matthew chapter 7, it's telling a little story about standing before the throne of God and these people are saying, yeah, but I, I, I preached in your name and I baptized in your name and I taught a Sunday school class in your name and I was in the choir in your name and, and I worked Awanas in your name and I worked the nursery in your name. That, that ought to give you some credit, right? Um, and Jesus uses these words I never knew you. There was never a relationship there. So it's very important that we understand that God knows us. Um, I hope that's the case. Um, But now after you've known God, or rather you're known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And what's Paul saying here? He says they're turning back to the law. They're going back and they're starting to observe things. The days and the months and seasons, the years, this, this is a very Jewish term. It's talking about the holy holidays. Talking about doing the Sabbaths and the Passovers and, and Yom Kippur and, and all those things. And those weren't wrong in itself. We have from Scripture that Paul observed several of those. There was nothing wrong in those. But these people were coming in and they were saying, um, okay, you've accepted Christ. That's good. But you need to do these also to be saved. Or you need to do these things to have a right relationship with God. And they start making them observe these laws saying this is the only way to keep that relationship right. Um, we got a lot that do that today in our society. Um, don't know how many of you have come from a, a background where it was like that. You had to do this list of things or you just weren't right with God. And sometimes there'd be people that would, you know, okay, you're, you're not doing that one. Hmm. Oh, you're not doing that one. you gotta, you, you got to get right with God. Anybody ever been in a background like that? Come from a church like that? Um, Refer to that as legalism today. Wiersbe said one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when in reality it leads a believer back into a second childhood, a Christian experience. Um... That, that legalism, that, you know, I, I came from that. Darla, Darla, my wife, both um, Trish, we all came from that same 
same environment. And uh, Darla sent a, uh, um, a, a comment from Yancey. Yes. Yeah, I said Darla and then my wife Trish. I, I realized after I said it, yeah, that maybe that's my wife is Trish. You got that? All right. Yeah, they're not both my wife. You can come back. <laughs> um, whoever's next week is going to deal with that. <laughs> um, she, she sent a quote, and it was so good. I spent a long time thinking this quote through. Um, said, at first glance, legalism seems hard, but actually freedom in Christ is the harder way. It is relatively easy not to murder. Anybody murdered anybody lately? Have any problem? I didn't say, did you want to murder anybody? (laughs) Anybody actually murder anybody lately? Okay, we're good so far. Um, It's um, where we at? It's relatively easy not to murder, but hard to reach out and love. It's easy to avoid a neighbor's bed, but hard to keep a marriage alive. Everybody who's married, raise their hands. Keep your hands up. Okay. Everybody who finds it very easy to keep that marriage vibrant and exciting and, and just lively and good relationship, keep your hands up. <laughs> okay. Some I'm... Some of you I know better. <laughs> um, easy to avoid a neighbor's bed, hard to keep a marriage alive. Easy to pay taxes. Well, I, I kind of differ with him on that, but um, hard to serve the poor. When living in freedom, I must remain open to the Spirit for guidance. And that's, that line just stuck, and I had a hard time getting past that. When living in freedom, I must remain open in the spirit for guidance. Um, living in freedom is difficult because we have to remain with an open heart to receive whatever God's trying to do in our lives. And that's good because at times we get, we get lost, we lose our way, and God has to lead us back. Um, we lose our focus, we lose direction. God directs us back, says, you know, you're... You're going, this is the path you need to take. And you're like, nah, 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 nah. this way. This is where you need to go. And God keeps correcting us. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we get hurt. Um, and the great physician comes along and he says, let me take that. Um, let me deal with it. And he heals us. Uh, sometimes we fall. Um, awful lot of you in here are parents. Like when you had that little kid that's trying to walk and they fall down and you pick them up. You brush them off and keep going. Try it again. That's, that's what God's doing. We just fall. And those are good things for God to do and a reason we keep our heart open. But sometimes it's because God says, You're wrong. 
you need to change. You've sinned. You did something I told you not to do. You didn't do something I told you to do. Yeah, you did what I told you, and then you took the credit. And keeping that open heart, God gets in there and he has to correct us. And we don't always like that. That's the hard part. The other dangers when you have an open heart is the fact that it's open, it's available to be hurt by people. People get in. They made you a promise, and they didn't keep. They told you one thing, you find out they tell somebody else something different. They say something you find out to a friend that hurts. And that open heart makes you vulnerable. It makes you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. When God says, I want you to do this, and the enemy comes along and says, yeah, you know what happened last time you did that. You know how you failed the last three times you tried that. You know what people are going to say. You know you don't have the abilities and the skills to do what God is asking you to do. And so that open heart is a problem for us. In our natural nature, we want to do something to protect it. And we will do things like, okay, I won't have to be corrected if I just set up these little rules. And I can follow these rules. And if I follow those rules, then I'll just stay in that good relationship with God. And so we protect our heart by someone comes along and says, well, you need to obey these rules. And you say, hey, yeah, if I do that, I won't have these problems. Or we insulate our heart by the activities, by fun, by recreation, by work, by other people. And if we surround ourselves with these things, then it makes us feel more comfortable. But then it takes the focus, our focus, off of Christ and it puts it on those things around us. So, yeah, living free is difficult. Paul continues, verse 11. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He said, look, I worked hard to get you to open up your heart, to get you accept God's grace, to get you accept that freedom and to live in it. And now you're wanting to go back to bondage? Really? Verse 12, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Uh, how was Paul? Well, he was still living in that grace. He was still living, trusting only what Christ had done. Living in that freedom, clinging to freedom. He says, I want you to still, I want you to get back there and do exactly what I'm doing. To live clinging to what God has done in your life. And just trust that, nothing else. 
Just trust what God has done. For I became like you. And he's talking about in the context, um, he's talking about how they are right now. Where are they right now? Um, David Gesick uh, had this quote. He said, Paul can say to the Galatian Christians, when it comes to legalism, I know where you're at. I used to live my whole life trying to be accepted by God because of what I did. In that regard, I became like you and saw that it was a dead end. Take it from someone who knows where you're coming from. I live this experience. Um, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go down this road. You've not injured me at all. Um, so this isn't personal. This isn't because of what you're doing, what you're saying. My feelings aren't hurt. I want you to get right. I want you to do what is right. I want you to experience that freedom again and live in it. Um, Verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. Um, The word for physical infirmity is lacking strength. Um, There is all kinds of speculation about what this is. And an awful lot don't agree what this is. He doesn't really give us enough information to determine what this is. Speculation is fun. Um, talk about um, um, what happened during the time that he went to this church and, and during that first experience. Uh, why did he come to him with that? Well, things that happened on that, it was the first missionary journey. Things that happened to him. John Mark just abandoned them before coming here to Galatians. Um, anybody ha- ever had an experience where somebody did something so disappointed, disappointing that you just felt sick about it? This caused a lot of contention between him and, and uh, Barnabas. And their next journey, they split because of it. Um, this, w- this was an issue. Maybe he was sick because of that. Um, a lot of uh, commentators will speculate it was because of his eyes. Don't really know what was involved there. The truth of the matter is, in the first century, people had overwhelmingly bad eyesight. Have you ever tried to study anything by a candle? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He spent hours upon hours upon years studying by candlelight. What do you think that might have done to his eyes? I don't know. Some people said it was th- that it was his eyes. That was a problem. Um, some speculate the first trip as they got into where Turkey is today, Asia Minor, the very first city was a city sitting right on the edge of a swamp. And they had to travel through this swamp to get inland to all these other cities that they went to. And through this passage and through several others, good argument, I've, I've, I've seen uh, some speculate that he got some form of malaria. Um, very painful, very debilitating thing to fight through. And uh, that's what he was suffering. Um, right before he went to the churches that here that he's talking to, he was in a church preaching, and they stoned him, and they dragged him out, out of the city. And uh, they're all, all the others that were with him were standing around. You know, you ever had a, you're 
things are going well and God's doing good and things are happening and you're thinking it's great and God just sort of, you stop. What just happened? You just, I can just see them all standing there going, all right, now what do we do? This was going well. Paul gets up, dusts himself off, goes back in, starts preaching again. But did the stoning have some effect upon his physical features, his health? Maybe. Fun to speculate, um, but we really don't know. He goes on to verse 14 and says, My trial, which was in my flesh, same thing he's been talking about, we just talked about, you did not despise or reject, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. We're really good at lifting up and idolizing our leaders um, in the church as a whole. And we do it sometimes because, man, they, they just look good up there. Boy, they sound good. They can tell a story. They can preach really well. But our focus needs to be on where's their commitment? Is there commitment to the Word of God? Is there commitment... To, to sharing the word of God is their commitment in teaching those that are follow them how to live in grace, how to live in freedom. Um, I don't know how many of you, what a lot of your backgrounds are, but I've, I've been in a lot of churches and we have something special here. Uh, God is blessed, I think, for one, this reason probably one of the biggest because they're committed to sharing the truth and it's not about, you need to follow what I'm doing. You need to be like me because I'm doing what's right. And too many leaders get that attitude. And uh, um, sometime this week, send, send some of the leaders a note. I'm sure they would appreciate it. You don't have to wait until uh, Pastor Appreciation Day. Um, verse 15. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? What happened? What happened to your joy? How many can remember the joy when they first got saved? Still fresh in their mind. Anybody? Because we need to remember those things. The psalmist, psalmist wrote, that asking God, please return to me the joy of my salvation. We need to take those, those um, um, experiences where of success as you were serving God. You need to bring them up once in a while to remind you what God can do as you're going through the next thing that seems a little bit tough. And you can say, but God did this. He's saying, think back. Did you forget about the joy that you had when you got saved? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. See, there's the eyes thing. This is one of the arguments for why they think it was something to do with the eyes. But I think that's a misnomer. I don't think that's an accurate um, description. You were so happy when you got saved that you would have just taken your eyes out and given them if I needed them. You were so happy when this happened you ever heard somebody say, I, I would give my right arm for that person? You're not literally going to do that. What would be the purpose in that? 
you are so overjoyed in the, the priceless gift that they were able to bestow upon you that you're willing to do anything. And that's what he's saying. You would have done anything I asked. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Um, Sometimes we need the truth more than we need to feel good about their situation. Sometimes we're going through some hard things and uh, we may not appreciate it, but it's better for that a good friend to come up and say, look, you might be going down the wrong road here. This, this could be a little hurtful if you keep on this course. And those times don't feel good. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. You want somebody to stroke your ego, say, yeah, you're doing everything right. You just keep going. And, uh, but sometimes you need somebody to step up. Um, I've been blessed to have that since I've been here. Several people in this room have helped over the years. Didn't like it at the time, of course, but looking back, um, realize what a blessing that is. Um, verse 17. They zealously court you, but for no good. The they, the Judaizers, are coming in and they're saying, but Paul's not here. So he's not here because he really doesn't love you as much as we do. We're here because we love you. We appreciate you. And then they would say, that's why you need to do this also. Um, cults just overwhelm you with the whole love thing. Um, some sects of, of uh, Christian legalism will overwhelm you with the love thing and then say, but here's what you really need to do. I don't know how many have ever heard the... Uh, I've heard many speakers speak and they say cults, the roles of cults, are overwhelmed with ignorant Baptists. They just don't know the truth. And it sounds good. And so they follow. They say, okay, I'll do that. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. The word exclude there means to lock you up. They want to protect you from Paul, from those that know the truth, that know what they're teaching is wrong. They want to isolate you. That's what a lot of the cults do. And they'll cut you off from all those who really love you and, and would probably share the truth with you, know that this isn't right. So all you're hearing is what is not true. So that you would be zealous for them but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Nothing wrong with zealousness. zealousness. Um, we pro- the, the problem is that too often that zealous attitude, being a zealot, is, is founded in something that, that is false, is uh, um, propagated by the deceiver. And uh, people will, do, will follow these things. It's... Um, one of the labels where we label terrorists, they're, they're following a false premise, a false doctrine. 
And he finishes up, my little children, for when I labor in birth again until Christ is for me. Wait a minute. Is that it? I got something missing. Oh, okay. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is forming you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. Um, this, he, yeah, he's got to tell them the truth. He's got to get them to change. They're going the wrong direction. But the sense of love there, it, it just it reminds me of Christ when he was standing over Jerusalem. And he, he looks over Jerusalem and he says, how I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. And Christ continually stands out there saying, please, I desire to gather you to me. And Paul's saying the same thing. Look, I want you to know the truth. I really do love you. But you need to hear this. And so there's a sense of... Uh, um, just concern and love in Paul's voice, even in spite of the um, trying to correct them. So what's the point? Um, our fallen nature makes it oftentimes easy for us to fall away from the truth that we have known. Um it's very easy to slide away from falling truth. There, there are times when you go through hard times. I know a lot of you experience this. You're going through hard times. And the one thing you need is you need to just stay in the truth. And the last thing you want to do is to stay in the truth. Um, it's very easy for us to move away from it. So what do we do? What's our response? We know truth. You get into the Word. Um, make it real. You live it. Make it personal. Get to know Him. Second point. It can be easy to follow wrong teaching or doctrine from those who look or sound good. We need to learn. Here's your response. You need to learn to recognize who are the truth tellers and who are not. Um, you don't follow them because it looks or sounds good. Um, heard people say, well, I like a lot of what they say, and although some of it's not right, they mean well. That's a problem. There's going to be a lot of people in hell because they followed somebody that meant well. There's going to be a lot of Christians who become ineffective because they're following somebody that means well. But they're not teaching truth. And that's critical. And lastly, grace, though not easy, it's still free. Christ is still standing there saying, just come unto me. You don't have to pay anything for it. So what do we do with that? You know truth with a capital T. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You invest your time and your life in the one who gave you life. You invest your time and life in the one who gave you freedom. You get to know him intimately. You get to know him well. And uh, that will keep you from exactly what the Galatians were going through.